It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're tuned in to the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined as always by our tribe beat writer, Paul Hoynes. Uh, we've got a, a loaded show here this week as uh, we've got a special guest coming on. Uh, guest columnist from NJ.com, Steve Politi, is going to be joining us to talk about his uh, piece that ran yesterday about the New Jersey sliding trial, a case, a curious case where a JV baseball coach was sued over telling a kid to slide into third base. Paul, uh, you ever hear of anything like that? No, you know, and it... Uh... <laughs> It was a great story, Joe, and, uh, you know, just uh, it, it shows you, you know, that America's obsession with sports, especially youth sports, and, you know, the unfortunate things that, that kids at, at a young age can get injured and coaches can be uh, the focal point of, uh, you know, a lawsuit. It's, it's you know, it's, uh, it's just it's, it's just not innocent, funny games anymore. Right. And uh, the other big topic on everybody's mind right now, we should uh, probably delve into a little bit, is the revelation yesterday that the Houston Astros uh, were using technology, using video equipment to steal signs during the 2017 playoffs, as revealed to uh, Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic and and Evan Drellick. Uh, They wrote a story on The Athletic, uh, and Mike Fires, a pitcher with the Astros in 2017, was you know quoted as and going on record saying that that when he played for the Astros they used this method of uh, I guess banging on a uh, a trash can in the dugout that to indicate off speed pitches to the batters and uh, this is just a, a, a I guess another you know throw another log on the fire as you're burning the uh, the Astros house down right now uh, with with all the investigations and whatnot going on uh, in Houston. Yeah, you know, Joe, uh, the Indians were very much aware of this uh, in 2017 when they were preparing for the ALDS. It didn't it certainly didn't look like it. You know, they got swept in the series. uh, But, uh, you know, they they were so paranoid. They were so occupied by, you know, the rumors that that uh, the Astros were stealing signs and were using, you know, video equipment to do so. That they, you know, they they became obsessed with changing signs. I think that occupied their mind. You know, obviously they got outplayed by by the Astros, but uh, that that factored into it. And there was a lot of uh, veiled comments after that that series. You know, from Kipnis and 
and uh, uh, Mike Clevenger, you know, referring to that, to how much time they put, you know, they were they were worried about the, the how much they were worried about the Astros doing exactly what they've been accused of doing right now. Right. And Clevenger, I, I know, uh, said something to the effect of, you know, they were already behind when they, they went in to play uh, games in, in Houston because they, they were at a disadvantage already. Uh, and it, does it does it make you sort of look back on those comments now and say, oh, this is what those guys were talking about? And, and it was pretty obvious to, to everybody at, at the time. Yeah, that clears a lot of stuff up because it, it was so weird to, to hear that, you know, the, to hear those comments. And Kipnis said something referring you know, I think it was misconstrued that, you know, the Indians were out coached, but I think what he was really referring to was, was, was the advantage the Astros had. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and certainly, you know, I mean, there have been accusations against the Indians when they were on that great run in the nineties, you know, same kind of stuff, uh, <clears throat> cameras in the outfield, uh, you know, uh, when Tommy was at 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 the plate, there, there would be a whistle. There was somebody scream from the dugout. So this this is, goes on. But you know the the Astros uh, reportedly have taken it to a new level, and it's going to be really interesting to see what uh, the commissioner does here. I mean, they have uh, if he you know takes takes away uh, draft picks, who knows? Right. Well, and let's be clear about what we're talking about here. We're not talking about the the sort of the stealing signs or, uh, you know, tipping pitches or, or gamesmanship that's always been a part of the game in terms of if, if you've got a guy in your dugout who can steal a sign or, you know, pick up a team's indicator sign or, you know, notices the way that, uh, you know, the, the World Series this year turned on the fact that in game six, uh, one of the pitching coaches for, the Nationals sort of self-audited what Strasburg was doing on the mound and and was able to tell him, hey, you're tipping your pitches this way, and and that that corrected things and, and carried the uh, carried Washington to a World Series win. Uh, that gamesmanship has always always been a part of the game and always will. But when you start introducing technology like high-speed video cameras and relaying signs through monitors and things like that, that's when Certain teams have advantages that other teams aren't using, and and we run into problems, right? Yeah, that's that's a good point, Joe. And uh, I mean, if a guy's on second base and a catcher isn't hiding his sing- signals the right way, uh, with the runner on second base and the runner picks up something and looks left for a fastball, looks right for a, for a curveball or a breaking ball, and gives that signal to the uh, to the uh, hitter. I mean, that's that's old time baseball. That's been going on for a hundred years. But uh, to 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 computer to you know film a catcher's uh, signals, his sequence of pitches, then break it down through a computer, uh, you know that's going above and beyond. So I think it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in this. And you know, Major League Baseball came up with a set of rules guidelines at the start of the last season to to try to combat this. But you know it. it in a lot of ways, it, I don't think it, it doesn't seem like it's been very effective. Well, now, and as we're talking about the Astros, because the Astros seem to be the focal point of this right now, uh, Rosenthal and Drellick actually made great, took great pains to, to mention that this is a, a league-wide thing. The Astros aren't the only team that's doing right. this. They're just the only team that's being, you know, scrutinized right now because 
at least one pitcher who was has direct knowledge of it was was there saying that this is being done. Uh, it, like you said, the, the the standards and the guidelines are out there, but what would you expect could be the consequence now for for Houston and for any team, you know, subsequently that that's caught doing this? Well, I would think you know th- this is an extreme case, but uh, remember the St. Louis uh, front office executive that hacked into uh, mm-hmm. Houston's, you know, database. Uh, I mean, he was banned, he was imprisoned and banned for baseball for life. Now I'm not, I don't think that's going to happen, but I think. Oh, uh, AJ, AJ Hinch better watch out, huh? Yeah. I, I think, uh, 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 I think an organization that's found guilty of this could lose some high draft picks. Could you know, in that way, uh, you could penalize the team. You can p- penalize them monetarily. You could suspend people. You could fire people. I mean, you know, I, you know, I, I'm not sure what, what to, to what degree they would, you know, follow this. The, the bottom line here is that the 2018 uh, American League Division Series isn't going to get replayed between the Indians and the, uh, the Astros. So there, there's really no direct way to, to recoup what the Indians lost in terms of those, uh, those two games in Houston uh, when. If if there was was cheating or, or some sort of surveillance going on, uh, you know, later on at, at at game three, they they literally caught a Houston employee pointing a cell phone into the Indians dugout from the camera bay, and the league did nothing about it. So, uh, pardon me for not having a lot of faith that the league is going to come down hard on Houston. The only thing I think uh, that that might might lead itself to that is. Houston's already under investigation for their own sort of misconduct from the the American League Championship Series this year, where they had an assistant uh, general manager screaming at female reporters in the in the uh, in the clubhouse. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's 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 not a good situation right now there in Houston. Yeah, I like the uh, you know the the uh, the guy taking the pictures of the Indians dugout was in Boston doing the same thing to the Red Sox and. Uh, was, and he's he's lucky some of those Boston hooligans didn't take him outside of Fenway and beat him to death. I just, and uh, that you know his excuse and it and you know they, he was cleared by Major League Baseball was he was taking pictures of the opposing dugouts to make sure they weren't cheating. So that's like that's like catch twenty two, isn't it? <laughs> I, I I tweeted something about that def- that as a defense, uh, but I'm not going to repeat it uh, verbally here on the uh, the breath broadcast because the language was a little bit coarse uh let's let's just take a look now right you've got all of these allegations coming what what, what's the situation in a clubhouse when if you're a pitcher and you know that your team is is doing this to opposing pitchers you you know what i mean the the situation basically that mike fires is in he's got to be sitting in that clubhouse in 2017 looking over his shoulder at guys like Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve and all those who are, who are benefiting from this uh, and, and at the detriment of, of a pitcher and going, you know, what happens if I'm ever not on this team? And, and that was the case. He was DFA'd in the, in the off season that year. Yeah. You know, that's, that's an interesting point. And, uh, you know, I'm sure uh, fires has, has not made many friends with the Astros for, uh, you know, saying what he said. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. I, I look at it both ways. I mean, if, if Fires was so upset about this, why didn't he say anything about about it when he was playing for the Astros? Because, A, he's probably winning games. 
and they were helping him win games. And he well, was he's, he's got a ring because of it. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, you know, that's one way of looking at it. And uh, I guess when you go, you get traded away or you go, you leave it, you know, there's a bad taste in your mouth for the way they, they released you, you know, maybe it's a little bit of sour grapes as well, but Hey, what goes around comes around eventually. And, uh, you know, I, if, if you're cheating like that, you probably deserve to be caught or you're not doing it good enough. You know, well, what did Billy Martin say? If you're not cheating, you're not trying to win. You're not, if you're not cheating, you're, you're not, not cheating. You're not trying. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's not like Houston doesn't have the two best pitchers in the American league and, you know, a, a stacked lineup anyways. It's like how much more of an advantage did Houston really need to win games? And and their home record is an indicator. They won 60-some games at home this year. Uh, I mean, that's that's a ridiculous number of games to win at home. Uh, I just uh, – yeah, there, there had to be something there. Uh, it'll be interesting. You know, it, And it makes you, you wonder when in the American League Championship Series, A.J. Hinch is quoted as, as talking about the, the Yankees brought up the whistling from the dugout. And he said, boy, if, if – if we knew that whistling was all it took to, to rattle the Yankees, then we would have been practicing it in spring training. I mean, how pompous does he sound now, now that it's brought to light that, yeah, you guys really were cheating. I didn't say that doesn't sound very good. And, you know, I like AJ too. I, I think he's a hell of a manager. He's got a great ball club that probably doesn't need to cheat to win, to win. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll just take it from there and see what major league baseball does. You know I mean? eventually they're going to have to stop somehow, you know, I don't know, you know, they've got, don't they have monitors? I mean, guys that are supposedly overlooking this stuff at, at all ballparks. Oh, they're, they're, they're supposed to have like audits of all the cameras that are in the park between foul pole to foul pole. And there's a whole set of guidelines that that's out there. That's really interesting to, to sort of run through. Uh, I'd be curious to see how many of those the Astros uh, violated with, with all this. So all right. Well, we're going to have to move on from uh, this, the, the, the sort of the story of the week here. Um, let's move on to uh, bring in Steve Politi from uh, NewJersey.com. All right. We're going to bring in Steve Politi from NJ.com, an award-winning sports columnist. Uh, he joins us here on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast uh, to talk about his a uh, story that came out yesterday uh, regarding the New Jersey, uh, the, the sli- we're going to call it the sliding trial, I guess. Uh, uh, is that is that how you guys referred to it uh, in, in your piece on NJ.com? That's pretty much it was the slide trial the entire time we were working on it. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, and and just for, for those who haven't read the story or haven't seen it, uh, I know my wife saw it on Facebook and, and immediately just, you know, tapped me on the shoulder and said, you've got to read this story. It was uh you know, it's gripping to go through it, uh, especially as a parent of, a, you know, someone who's involved in youth sports. And uh, just take us through just a, a quick overview of the, the story and, and how you got to where you were. Yeah. So, I mean, this is going back to, to the spring of 2012 and a baseball coach named John Souk was coaching his first JV game. Uh, and they were up to eight nothing in the game. And his best player hits a long fly ball out to the outfield. He's charging around the bases and is, and is you know, the mo- one of the more routine things in a baseball game. Uh, the coach indicates that he should slide. Uh, and when the, when the poor kid slid, his ankle just shattered into, into many pieces. It was just an awful injury. It required five surgeries. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's the kind of thing that happens. But in this case, the story, of course, advances when uh, the, the, the parents sued. Uh, the coach and the school district looking for damages. And that's when really this le- legal odyssey took over for the whole, for the whole thing. And I think that's, uh, 
you know, that's kind of where I came in, you know, with the story, the headline obviously grips you right away, you know, mm -hmm. uh, coach sued for telling kid to slide. That was the thing, um, you know, but then following the trial, following the case, it was just it was just remarkable sitting in the courtroom and, and watching this all unfold. There, there's a point in the in the piece where where you say that, you know, you came into the the courtroom and, you know, expecting this to be sort of a ha ha, you know, you yeah, know mar yeah. march through it. But then all of a sudden you realize, boy, this has really far reaching implications, not just uh, for this guy, but for, for youth sports in general. Oh, absolutely. You know, and and that, and that was it. I mean, I, it just hit me that, you know, what if this guy is found liable, you know, what happens to the, the swimming coach that tells a kid to dive or the gymnastic coach that tells a kid to tumble all, all the ramifications for, for youth sports. And I mean, I, you know, I, I'm sure how many of us, I mean, everyone coaches at some point, if you have kids, I coach that volunteer assistant coach of my nine year old soccer team. I mean, it, it's not hard to imagine being in this guy's shoes and wondering what, what would happen to you. And, you know, seeing your name and, and out there and reputation, you know, being attacked for, for something that really is, is a split second decision. Uh, Paul, I, I, I gotta assume that, you know, in, in your years of covering, uh, you know, Major League Baseball and, and all sorts of levels of sports, you've seen, uh, you know, countless guys slide into third base, right? Yeah, a lot of guys slide into third base. And, you know, uh, I just felt, you know, Joe and Steve, I felt bad for the kid, you know. Yeah, sure. Just, I mean, the, from reading your story, which was, which was excellent, uh, they, they were talking about amputation at one time. Yeah, I absolutely. mean, it just, you know, I... You know, when my kids played sports, I, I I never thought of them getting hurt like that. But my I have grandkids now, and I worry about them all the time. So I I don't know what that says about me, but I you know I I, I can see why why the father and the and the family would be upset and uh and and just kind of you know wonder why me. I don't know to the extent they took it. That's that's the thing that that makes the story. I guess. Well, my my question is, Steve, you you said you said you sat down with the father uh, after the trial and, and you talked to him. Uh, you know, were, were you able to empathize with him and in, in the situation that they were in? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I, you know, you, you couldn't sit in that courtroom and for, without fe feeling bad for the kid. Kid never kid never played another inning of baseball. He was a great athlete. He's been told he shouldn't do con high impact sports like you know anything that involves jumping or, or climbing or you know anything. It's going to affect him the rest of his life. So you know, I think on that level, it's hard not to feel bad for him. You know, uh, and he also made a, he made some good great points. You know, he he believes and he's right that there are just a lot of instances where there are high school or JV coaches out there who are some English teacher collecting the 8,000 bucks who doesn't know a thing about the sports and isn't trained properly and isn't held to a, you know, isn't held to a standard high standard. Uh, I don't know if that was the case here, but his point was, you know, someone should be responsible for this. And, you know, uh, I guess that's where I, that's where I go in a different route than him. I, I don't think that, you know, necessarily, I'm a believer in that stuff happens sometimes, especially in sports. So, but yeah, I mean, I did, I did understand his point and his frustration. And one of the other things that struck me uh, from reading the piece was uh, this plaintiff's attorney really sounded like somebody uh, they got, you know, plucked out of a law and order episode. Yeah, just, really, uh, yes. The I, kind of guy who would go after a, a high school JV coach yeah. uh, on the stand like that. And they were like, excellent, excellent attorneys, too. That's the thing that gets lost. Like, oh, these ambulance stations, no way. I mean, these guys represented, they were involved in one of the most high profile cases in New Jersey history, which was a bullying case that uh, led to a suicide at Rutgers. Uh, and, you know, it's just so... Uh, they, they they took this case, I think, because they believed 
uh, A, there, there could be high damages, and B, that they could set precedent. It was part of the reason they did it. Uh, and yeah, there's this moment when the, the coach is on the coach is on the stand, and he had, you know, again, he had given a deposition where he they had asked him, well, how, what is the level, where is the safe boundary where you can indicate someone to slide? Uh, and he said two feet. And, you know, I don't think he probably didn't think it through. Like, well, where can you tell, you know, what, how long is two feet? But yeah, so the lawyer goes up to the goes up to the stand where he's standing and it says it loudly in his face. So you, are you telling the jury that it is safe for, for you to tell a player to slide from this distance? And I'm just sitting there. I thought the same thing. Like, this is the world's worst law and order episode ever. I mean, like, we should, uh, yeah. like the episode on, on NBC. That's. <laughs> Uh, you laugh now, but you know if if things had gone the other way in this this trial, you're you're looking at you know six figures in damages or, or, oh, or more, more than that. The jury was instructed to take his lifespan in consideration when they were mapping this out, and the, you know all whatever the however they use that whatever chart they use. It was another 60 years this kid's expected to live. So, you know, multiply that out. I mean, it would, this was a this was a seven figure settlement absolutely if they found him liable. Now the uh, the jury did come back. I, I believe you said seven to one was the yeah, the, and it was funny. Right? You know, it took a while. It, it really didn't. I think you know, it, as it was the longer it took, everyone was sort of like, well, is this going in the opposite direction? Uh, and I guess at one point there was it has to be have to have seven of the eight uh, jurors to find it to find liable, and they went in there and the discussions began. It was six to two, and they had to have they had to have a conversation. They requested more test depositions that were not in evidence. They you know they sent notes back to the judge, that kind of thing. And it went it went for about I want to say close to two hours. I can't exactly remember exactly. Yeah, you know, they were deliberating for a while before. Yeah, it was seven to one, and there was one woman who uh, who said yeah that I they they thought they thought the coach was liable. And and they had they had one juror who flipped and, and so made it yep. seven to one. You said, uh, yep. and and she you know essentially made it so you guys could get out of there. Did yeah. you had had you had a lot of experience covering any any trials or or courtroom procedures? No, and this is why like you know I'm like you guys are sport, I'm a sports writer. I've been a sports writer my entire life. I've never done anything. I've been on a jury, and that that's kind of you know it was one of those awful experiences that people have where you wonder how anybody is found guilty of anything so but i've never said i've never covered a case before i've never been in i've never done i didn't know where to go i didn't know what was allowed it was really like a fun on that level you know and just you know personally uh expanding the stuff that you do professionally i mean i i i was totally consumed by it when i was when i was going to court this that week and you said the uh, the judge in the trial, he was also he'd also been in a uh, part of a couple of high profile cases as well, right? Yes, it was. I mean, you guys remember it, it was a huge deal in Jersey. I think nationally too. The the Jason Williams manslaughter trial, mm -hmm. which yeah. back in the day when Court TV was Court TV, that was on every day for weeks uh, in his courtroom. And he had just said, and it's funny, I saw him leaving the uh, leaving that I went to introduce myself to him as he's going out to lunch during a lunch break and. You know, he had even mentioned that. It's like, well, I've, I've had some high profile cases before with the media. <laughs> it's like, well, this, one, this one's a little different because it's just literally just me in the courtroom. But yeah, yeah, he, was, he was referring to, obviously, the Jason Williams case. It's funny in the story when you refer to the gallery and it's just you sitting there. When they say all rise, they're looking just at you in the courtroom, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it was a little weird. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it had to be pretty interesting. Well, uh you know, it's just a fascinating read, and you know the the way you guys presented the material uh, with the with the courtroom sketches and the uh, the, the quotes from the, uh, the directly from the testimony. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, you did a, a really nice job on it, uh, and and I wanted to you know just let our listeners know 
that, hey, if you're out there coaching, uh, even even the peewees and the, uh, you know, the, the, the lower levels uh, and, and on, the, on the sandlots uh, next summer, it, you know, you, you're not completely covered, I, I guess, all the time. Yep. Be, hey, be careful out there. I, yeah. I was wondering, uh, does this, uh, you know, does it, did this case like bring any any more attention to, you know, the training, you know, coaches at any level have to go through in, in it, your state? You know, that was a great point. It hasn't yet. I mean, obviously, this, this, the, uh, the story just ran. I do wonder about that. And, you know, he, and again, it just the father's point was that, you know, and it was part of it was a big part of the testimony. A big part of the, the, the plaintiff's case was that he did not have to have any proper training to do this job. And you wonder about that. But, you know, it certainly wasn't that he wasn't trained. He played baseball his entire life. Yeah. He, knew, he knew when to slide. He knew how to slide. He knew how to teach sliding. But as for as far as having you know, a structured, uh, you know, certificate or something like that. It just wasn't required. So uh, I do wonder if in this litigious society, if there would be some push eventually, you know, to have something like that in the future. Yeah, well, no, my I, son, my son is a wrestling coach in junior high and he had to pass all these tests, you know, and everything like that. So, and so I, I, refer, I referee high school basketball. And one of the things that they make us do is the concussion training. I think that's pretty much standard for all coaches. And, you know, we have to be able to recognize the signs of concussions and all that. But, right. Uh, I had to do that for, yeah, for ninth grade soccer. Yeah, no, sorry, not nine-year-old soccer. So, I mean, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, but I, that's all I had to do. They certainly were not asking me if I knew how to, you know, run a drill or to, you know, anything to, related to the sport. That was the one thing, though, that was required. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's all really fascinating. I'm going to have, uh, again, this is uh, Steve Politi, columnist for NJ.com. Uh, his piece on the the New Jersey sliding trial uh, is is up, and uh, we'll we'll tweet it out, and uh, we'll have links in the post here with the podcast this week. Uh, really good stuff. Now, Steve, you've got to promise uh, next season when Francisco Lindor is playing with the Yankees after he's been <laughs> traded there that you'll send us a uh, a Yankees jersey number twelve with uh, with Lindor's name on it. Right? <laughs> is that is that the one? Is that the player that's going to get him over the hump, or do they have to come up with some elaborate system for for the tipping pitches to be able to be able to win the AL? <laughs> that's well, the question. well, your your manager certainly isn't isn't good enough to win any awards. I guess that uh, <laughs> that isn't uh, what happens there. How, how how many trips to the DL is it going to take? Do you have to go over 40 in order to get the manager of the year? <laughs> you know, I think it's I do think that's a Yankee thing. But when you're expected to win 100 games and then you win 100 games, people are like, oh, whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. well, 12 might be a, a retired number with the Yankees. They've got uh, uh, yeah, yeah, anything, anything. Sure. Yeah. It, what do they only have like 30, 30 retired numbers, something like that? Yes. I don't know if 12 is one. That's a good question. I, yeah. I know all the single digits are taken. So all the single digit numbers <laughs> taken. That's crazy. Uh, all right. Well, you know, it, it, he's, he's still in Cleveland for now. So we'll, you know, it, despite all the rumors and all the, uh, the guys trying to pull him away, we'll, we'll see how that works out. But, uh, but Steve, again, great work. We, we really appreciate the time, uh, here talking about the story and uh, you know, uh, best of luck as, uh, as you go forward. No problem guys. Thanks for having me on. All right. Our thanks again to Steve for joining us uh, for his segment on this uh, Cleveland baseball talk podcast. Uh, really just a fascinating story there, Paul, uh, about the, uh, the sliding trial. Uh, let's jump into questions. Do we have uh, any questions from our listeners and our readers? Yeah. One from Ed Charlton. Um, is it possible to trade Francisco Lindor and use the money saved to sign uh, Yaziel Puig? 
This would help build for the future and maintain for a run next year. What do you guys think? Wow. Uh, well, you'd be talking about roughly the same amount of, uh, of cash for, for at least one season. If Lindor is expected to make around 16, 17 million uh, in arbitration this year. And, and that's probably what, what Puig will get uh, over a, a few seasons uh, if, if he's looking for a multi-year contract, but uh, you, you just robbing Peter to, to pay Paul, I guess is, is sort of the thing that I, I would, I would assume you're, you're taking your, your best hitter out of your lineup and, and, you know, bringing in Puig for maybe a season or two. I, I, I don't see it as an option, but you know, Antonetti and, and Chernoff definitely have to get creative this off season. I don't know if that, uh, that type of creativity is, is the direction that they're going to go. Yeah, you know, I, I think that, uh, Joe, I would like him to, to, to sign an outfielder, somebody that can play every day like Puig, um, but not at the expense of Lindor. I don't think, yeah. that, like you said, that the, you, you fill one hole and create another one. Uh, I think, uh, you know, at least you got to ride Lindor out through next season, see what happens. I mean, if, if the season's in the tank at, at, the July, at the end of July, then you can consider trading him. But I think you've got a great chance to win this uh, division again next year. The Twins have all sorts of pitching problems, free agent pitching problems. I think, uh, you know, this is to, to trade your best player now um, is kind of tough with, with, you know, with if you're just going to if you're doing it to sign an outfielder. And, and you know, let's face it, we, we we got two good months out of Puig. The Indians got two good months out of Puig. Um, he was on his best behavior. What happens if you sign him to a two-year deal and, and oh. with a club option for a third year, something like that, which is probably what you'd have to do to, to have a chance at getting him. Right. You know, you know the wild horse is going to be uh, kicking up his heels a little bit. Probably the best thing that we that the Indians got out of Yasio Puig was Fran Mil Reyes. So uh, you got to look at it. You kind of got to look at it that way. Uh, and, and as well, I... I do like the idea, like you said, of if they could sign Puig, he he solves your problem. He plays every day out in right field. But again, I, it's it, what are you getting for for what you're giving up? Is you know, and and who would be where would we be sending Lindor? Is is the is the the question I'm have in mind? Uh, what else you got? Okay, from Bill Drummer Drummer from uh, uh, I can't I can't say the name of its town. <laughs> But but Bill Drummer, you know, I'm concerned with the talk of waiting until midseason to see if we need if the Indians need to make a move. As far as I'm concerned, they wasted they ruined last season by waiting until midseason to get Puig and Reyes because it was too late. Then we need the Indians need to build our team now and not wait until they're in the same position as last season. But I mean, that's that's been their mo. That's that that's what's worked for this team, you know, dating back to 2016, 2017, is to to wait until that that sort of market reveals itself, the the deadline market, and and make the move. You make the move for you know like a Coco Crisp in 2016, make the move for uh, Jay Bruce in 2017. Uh, this is what they do. They sort of feel it out and see where they can, you know, get the most value for, for what they're giving up. Yeah, I agree, Joe. I think, uh, you know, I think there's a tendency now 
uh, among fans and, and front offices and, and, and the media to see to which team wins the winter, you know, which team wins December and, and the offseason. And a lot of times those teams aren't the teams that are playing in October. Uh, so I think uh, you, you've got to wait. You don't want to build. You don't have to build your team in December. You don't have to build it in, in uh, January. You, you can wait. And, you know, I think the Indians are talented enough that they should be able to stay in the race until they've got an understanding of, of where they are in July. And then, as you said, make, make the moves accordingly. Uh, you know, they, they've shown no hesitation to do that. Uh, you know, Andrew Miller was was one of the reasons they reached the World Series in, in 2016. So I think, you know, they'll keep they're very good at that. I think, in fact, you know, not only having one trade deadline probably hurt them a little bit last right. year because they couldn't, uh, you know, they couldn't re- you know replace the injured guys in August as as they have in the past. All right. Uh, any more questions to wrap up this? Yeah, we've got one more here. Okay, this is from Abe in Orville. Now that the Yankees didn't, uh, now that the Yankees didn't keep Didi uh, uh, Gregorius, would it be wise for the tribe to offer him a multi-year deal to be our third or second baseman, or consider or consider him a sh- the short our shortstop, the Indian shortstop? If they would deal uh, Lindor, I, I mean, I think Didi thinks of himself as a shortstop first. Uh, that's primarily he's going to want to find a place that's going to let him play shortstop. Uh, and if, if if Lindor gets dealt, then yeah, he might be an option. But I, I think he might be off the market, uh, you know, before a, a Lindor deal is ever reached. Yeah, I, I would think. I, I'm curious to see what he's going to get. I. I don't know if it's a three or four year deal. I mean, are you really? If he's I mean, looking for a four year deal, he's going to be sad. I, I don't think he's yeah. a four year deal. And I, I'm not sure how old he is either. I, I, but um, he's around 30, I think. He's got. He's in his 30s, I think. Yeah. And there just aren't a lot of four year deals out there for a lot of these guys. These guys are signing like two year deals with club options and things like that. And he's coming off Tommy John mm-hmm. on his on his elbow. Uh, you know, I, I read where the Reds were interested in him, and, he, and that's where he started his career. So that'll be interesting. I, I think, you know, maybe it's a fallback position, but I think they probably have to, to trade Lindor first to create that opening. But, you know, it's still you're, – you're still looking at a, you know, kind of a, you know, a high-end free agent. I don't know if they're going to do that. Right. All right. Well, uh, it's a lot of – some pretty decent questions this week. No uh, – no uh, – Tra- transitions of ownership to players uh, in, in the questions this week. I, which I just saw that headline and I just started scratching my head. Hey, Hoinsey, what if we let him be the owner? Uh, it's not going to work. But uh, again, that was pretty good stuff. Award uh, season uh, underway uh, in full swing, actually. So, so it looks like the Indians uh, are going to have won all of their awards up front early with the gold gloves and the platinum, uh, not, not platinum, but the, uh, you know, the Defensive Player of the Year awards going to to Perez, Roberto Perez, doing very well. But now that we're into the BBWAA portion of the the award season, uh, Rookie of the Year, the Indians didn't have a finalist there. Uh, Oscar Mercado actually getting what three votes total? Uh, one of them was from me, uh, <laughs> finishing eighth uh, in the Rookie of the Year voting, won by Jordan Alvarez. Uh, Pete Alonso wins the National League uh, honor. Not unanimously. What'd you think of that vote? 
The uh, yeah, I, that was interesting. Uh, you know, I thought uh, uh, the guy uh, Andrew ba- ba- Bagley, I think, Bagley, is from yeah. San- yeah, from San Francisco, from the Athletic, uh, voted for uh, the, the Soroka. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the Atlanta so picture. Pete Alonso gets 29 out of 30 possible first place votes. Isn't unanimous. Uh, Alonso hit 53 home runs, set the rookie record. But Mike Soroka was one of the best pitchers in baseball at limiting home runs. So you're talking about that. It might have actually been harder to, to, to keep people from hitting home runs in, in 2019. And Soroka was one of the best in baseball at doing it. Yeah, I thought he had some, you know, I thought he had a fair ground, some stable ground to vote to make that vote. I mean, but 52, 53 home runs by a rookie, that's that's big, big season. I don't know. I don't think you have to think too hard to to name him the rookie of the year. Yeah, I mean, it's not as much of a no-brainer as, you know, voting for Ichiro over uh, um, CC Sabathia, right, Chris Osenheimer? Uh, we're not we're not calling anybody out about that, but, you know. Hey, uh, we've seen it before. So, uh, and in and, and some of the some of the war grades, he, you know, uh, Soroka had a higher war than than uh, than Alonso. So he had, you know, he had some stats to back him up. So not 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 a terribly, you know, uh, not a terrible uh, vote. And uh, I don't think it ruined Alonso's day. I mean, you still you're still rookie of the year. I from from what I've seen in the interviews that I've seen of that guy. Uh, he's probably taking it in stride better than anybody else would. He's just one of the nicest guys in baseball, I think, uh, right now. So, uh, yeah, Pete Alonso isn't going to lose any sleep over over one vote. But the polar you know, bear. But, but but when the polar bear arrives in San Francisco next year, uh, he might have a little extra juice uh, uh, when, when he's playing in those games. Uh, Manager of the year last night uh, goes to Rocco Baldelli in. Uh, in new uh, in minnesota and uh, i believe mike schilt uh was the the, the winner in the national league yeah uh, manager. baldelli over uh aaron boone who who had what almost 40 different trips to the uh the injured list during the season uh on his roster and and he still still can't get any recognition for it i guess that's yeah that's i mean I think, I think that you know the the Yankees are the Yankees. I think, you know, a lot of you either love them or hate them. And that, that you know, maybe that worked against them. You know, I think uh, Baldelli, you know, the, it was really close. They bo- Both managers got the same amount of first place votes, mm-hmm. 13 each. And the total points was Baldelli 106, uh, you know, Aaron Boone 96. So it was a close race. It was, you know, it was not a gimme on, on it was, you know, so it was it was close, and I think the guy that that got overlooked was uh, Kevin Cash from Tampa Bay. I mean, he finished third, but it was a distant third, and I thought, you know, if if you you know if you ask me, I thought he did the best job. I, I really I, with the, with lowest payroll in baseball and all the stuff that you know he had to be real creative, you know, to with the uh, with the opener and you know using that pitching staff the way he did, and to get as far as they did, you know, take. Uh, Take the Astros to five games in the NLDS. That, that was pretty. That that was a that was an impressive performance. I think the last three seasons, Kevin Cash deserved strong consideration for Manager of the Year. Uh, just he's he's willing to. He sort of the feeling I get out of him is that uh, that revolutionary sort of change the game. Why why can't we do it this way? Sort of feeling and and he he really sort of does carry that with him. 
Uh, I thought Kevin Cash was the, the most deserving out of any of them, but uh, apparently when you got uh, Nelson Cruz hitting 40 bombs a year for you uh, <laughs> at the ripe old age of 137, um, you know, I, I guess that, that gets you manager of the year. Yeah. And Baldelli, you know, rookie manager, you know, really well-spoken guy. I think, you know, that's a good story. And so she'll, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it, I, you know, the, it was really kind of touching to, to watch it on TV. I guess his mom died last week and, mm-hmm. and she had been, uh, she had worked in uh, a minor league front office and brought him with him brought her with him when he was a kid. He grew up as, as a clubby in, in, in the uh, clubhouse, shining shoes and, oh, and wow. cleaning spikes and uh, shagging fly, fly balls. And, uh, you know, and, and he, had, uh, so he had never played, he had never played professional ball. Yeah. Never played professionally he played in high the, school and college. The first manager to win manager of the year and never have played yeah. professional ball. So, and, and, and his mom died, you know, last week just before, but she knew he was up for this award. So it was a pretty cool story. Oh, that's great. Uh, all right. Well, uh, we're getting close to it here. Uh, again, this this week, got a few more awards. Uh, Cy Young Award coming out tonight. Shane Bieber, not among the finalists for the Indians. But uh, who's who's your pick uh, in, in that race, Paul? I know you didn't. Neither of us voted in it, so we can we can say who we would have voted for. Yeah, I I, um, I don't see how you can get better than Cole. I really don't. That run he was on. My goodness, from what the end of May until, you know, right through, you know, the postseason. I know the postseason doesn't count in the voting, but geez, oh man, he was like 15 and one in that run or something like that. I, he, he, he was dominant. I think Verlander is, is probably going to win the award, but the way that Cole dominated throughout the end of the season and into the playoffs, people are going to think about that more and it's going to be, you know, why didn't he win? But uh, Hinch said in the locker room after they won the ALCS, he said, I don't know who the uh, the AL Cy Young winner is, but I know he's in this locker room. Yeah, that was probably right. I think he was right. Definitely. Who do you like in the National League? Uh, National League, I think it's DeGrom. I think uh, he just he he started off slow again, too. But, you know, he's he's a heavy favorite. uh, And I I think he's certainly. uh, uh, the one that his numbers aren't as good as they were last year, but they're still really, really good. Yeah, I, I kind of like Strasburg a little bit more, but we'll see how that goes. Boy, I think Scott Boris wants uh, Strasburg to, to get it, too, because, uh, you know, that would certainly boost. <laughs> he would go from the, you know, maybe 200 million range to about the 300 million range if that's. Uh, yeah, that's World right. Series MVP to NL Cy Young. That's not a bad resume <laughs> on your uh, walk here. On your that would. All right, and then Thursday night, the uh, the MVP awards are announced. I know uh, uh, you had a ballot in, in that race in the AL. Uh, I, I certainly think uh, Alex Bregman is a, a deserving candidate there in the American League. Yeah, definitely. You know, those, those four, there's like three or four guys that are grouped. You know, Trout, Bregman, uh, uh, Simeon, uh, and uh, DJ LeMahieu, I think, are the four the four guys that, that are in the in the race to to win that, you know, I, I really like Lemayhew. I, I thought he saved the Yankees. I thought he was a great addition. You know, when they got him, you know, you didn't know where they were going to play him, and then mm-hmm. he ends up playing all over the place and you know hitting like 900. So he did. He, that was a great addition. Well, the only one that we know for sure won't win the award is DJ Lemayhew. That's right. He wasn't a finalist. But. All right, Paul. Uh, we will.
catch up with you again next week on the Baseball Talk Podcast. Uh, good to hear from you. Oh, thanks, Joe.